Hi, and welcome to Fussifern Christian Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message, and it will both challenge and inspire you. Uh, let's turn to the Word of God right now. We're going to open up at the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 10, and I want to read from 7 to 10 from the New King James Version. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This morning I want to look at a passage that many of you will be very familiar with. Um, so I'm not expecting to show you anything new. Instead, I want to point out a couple of things to remind you of some truths that the busyness of life can steal from us, okay? So, so here we go. Jesus said he's the door. And he means it literally. He's not just the entry. He's not just an opening. He's not just the way, but he is literally the door. And we get that from the shepherds of Israel. The sheep pens of the day would only have one opening, right? And, and so at evening when the shepherd was bringing the sheep back, he, he would lead the sheep into um, the pen or the corral, whatever you call it, brick wall. He would lead them in there and then he would sit in the opening. And after tea, he would lie down to sleep. He would literally lie across the opening. That way he would keep the sheep in but he'd also keep the wolves out. So when Jesus said he's the door, he's literally the door, right? He, he, keeps, he keeps his sheep in, but he keeps the wolves out. He's lying across the door, the opening. Um, so interestingly, in verse 8, when he says, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, I want you to notice that Jesus specifically identifies them as those who came. Now, now you might think it's a little word game, but it's important because if you start to think about what he said, it would and, and it has been mistaken, it could quite interesting. Everybody who came before him, every single one of them were thieves and robbers, including Moses, including the patriarchs. No, but see, that's, that's not what he was actually saying there. Because he said, those who came, he said, those who came, he never said those who were sent. There's a difference between those who come, who came, and, and those who were sent. There's a huge difference. Of course, the patriarchs, Moses, the prophets, they were sent by God. But obviously, there's a lot of people who just came. It implies that they were there for their own motives their own agendas, not, not the shepherd's agenda, not the shepherd's motivation, who was, just showed concern and protection for the sheep. But they came, they came with their own motives. And that's the difference. That excludes all those who were sent. He wasn't talking about the sent ones. He was talking about those who came. And, and the truth is, um, any who deceive, or distract away from the shepherd or his instructions for his sheep, that is Jesus' instructions on how to live life itself, 
the fullness of life that he intended for those. Any though, anybody who came to deceive or to distract are actually those that came. You, you got that? It's pretty obvious. You'd be well aware of that. Here's the thing about that though. And you know this to be true. The closer a lie is to the truth, the more powerful that lie is. There's some lies that are so blatantly obvious a lie that you pay no attention to. But if you could get a lie that is so close to the truth, it can be convincing. It's incredibly powerful. So I'm saying that to say, okay, those who came, what if they came, but you, you recognize them as someone who should know the truth? What if, they, what if it, the religious leaders came? They have an incredible power to influence, to deceive, to distract, right? Why? Because you're expecting them to be people of integrity. You're expecting them to be uh, people who, who would be accountable to God and, and concerned for God's people. And so when they came with a lie that's still a lie, but it's close to the truth, people would be accepting of that. People would be open of that. People would buy into that and be manipulated by that. Would you agree? Where, where you know, if it was a second car... Oh, wait a minute. Any second-hand car dealers in the room? I'm sure there's some honest ones. But, but the deal is, if it was someone like that who came, you'd be dubious from the start, wouldn't you? Absolutely you would. Uh, so the closer lie is to truth, the more paradise. The, you see a person who's supposed to be a religious leader... Obviously, you're going to listen to them. Obviously, they have some say, and that's exactly what, who Jesus is addressing here. In fact, I want to say even more than that. Um, he's addressing anybody or anything that would distract you from the teachings of Jesus, especially relating to life, or, or even deceive you about that for their own agenda. Right? So I'm including that in, in these people that we need to watch for. Not, not just religious leaders who have their own agendas and are working things through their own interpretation, but I'm talking about anything that would deceive the flock, anything that would distract the flock uh, leads us into a place that is most dangerous. Um, so... It's actually another reason why we should stay close to the shepherd. Huh? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, another reason why we should become very familiar with his reason, his purpose, his agenda, his will. Right? It, it's another reason we should get very familiar with his word. Understanding his word. Because he, Jesus goes on to say, but the sheep didn't hear him. What it really means is they didn't recognize the voice. They didn't, it, it wasn't quite right. It wasn't like what we're expecting because this, we've, been, we've been listening and, and this is what he sounds like and, and, and this is what he's doing so that we can see all of that kind of stuff. But when there's somebody comes saying something completely different, you go, wait a minute, uh, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. And so you back off. I, I know many times in, in our ministry life, personal life there's not much difference anymore but the deal is I remember times when we was about to make serious decisions and and I would go well this is what my head says and Jane says yeah but it doesn't feel and I said tell me why 
tell me why it's not... And she goes, I, it just doesn't feel right. And I'm going, well, that's not really a good answer. Don't, can you give me something more specific? And she would get frustrated at me because she's saying, that is specific, it doesn't feel right. Well, can you give me a logical, reasonable argument why we shouldn't do this? Because it doesn't feel right. Any men here say, yes, I identify with that? Uh, and then Jane would talk to me, I said, well, this makes sense because, you know, one, two, three, and then if you go over here, A, B, C, and a couple of times in our discussions, one time in particular, driving home from Mandapra, all five hours of it. It was very loud at the beginning, very quiet at the end. And about oh, a third of the way into the journey, I realised she was right, but I wasn't prepared to admit that. <laughs> Darn it. I had a good argument, I had good points. Oh, doesn't feel right. What does that mean? But she was right. Why? Because she got used to hearing his voice or the feel. It's the vibe. It's going straight to the pool room. It's, you know, the vibe. It, it, it wasn't so much about the literal um, uh, points. It, was, it doesn't feel right, you know. And, and that's what he's saying here. The sheep, they didn't hear that voice. Because just didn't it didn't feel right. It's, it doesn't sound right. It does not. Anyway, so another thing about this, that's the reason why we should stay close to the shepherd and get very familiar with his will and get very familiar with his ways and get very familiar with his words. All I'm saying is, hey, read your Bible, pray, worship him, come to church, be part of what's going on. Another way of saying that. Anyway, so um, another thing I found interesting is he uses the present tense are and not the past tense were. L listen to this again. All who ever came before me, and you would have thought a were should go there. But he said, no, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Uh, and so it could be a reference to the religious leaders of the day. It could be a reference to the Pharisee, Pharisaical teaching that was putting the rules and the regulations before the actual people. They was moved by religiosity instead of mercy. And remember what Jesus said, we talked about this the other week, where, where Jesus reminded them that, hey, um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And certainly not you know, specific details of the sacrifice where you have to get everything in order uh, to appease God or you think that's what no no I desire mercy that, that's what he's saying here all who who ever came before me are thieves and robbers um, which, which is a reference to the religious leaders of the day or that the deception and distraction has to be a present activity for it to be effective or it could be both or it could be neither. You're staring at me and you're concentrating. I don't know if I'm, it's because I'm not making sense, you're trying to figure me out, or you're getting bored and you have to really look hard so you don't know that I know that you're bored. Anyway. So the, the things that deceive, 
he could be talking about the religious leaders of the day, which automatically goes, he could be talking to people of influence about today. People of influence of today. Huh? That's why we should know our Bibles. And I'm saying even in this house, that's why we, we should know our Bibles, we should know our God, we should stay close to Jesus, we should get familiar with the way he works. We should know his word, we should understand his will. I know he always surprises and shocks us, but when you stand back and look and think about it, you go, yeah, yeah, that's typical Jesus. But if all of a sudden something starts happening that isn't, doesn't sound right, feel right, we've got to question it. No matter, no matter if it's me, or, well, you probably half expect it from me, but what if it's Jane? You've you still got you to know your word. You've still got to, because you trust her. That's why I said that. Um, you understand what I'm saying? We've we got to get very familiar with him, with his presence, with his word. And, and all of a sudden when stuff starts happening, that's why I'm so excited about today. It's like things, things are opening doors and they're big doors, but there's stuff that he was doing, he started doing 2000, was your first trip? 2001? My first trip, 2007 to India. And, and things have just been increasing and even going beyond what we thought they would look like. But it's got that same feel to it. Anyway, probably more about having confidence in myself and not in God. But here we go. So, um, so why would he uh, use two words that sound familiar? Why would he say something that almost sounds like he's repeating himself? So why use the words thieves and robbers? Isn't he saying the same thing twice? Thieves and robbers? Uh, well, no, because in your dictionary it will tell you that thieves imply stealth, deception, trickery, where robbers imply force or violence. Thieves work sneakily or look for opportunities and manipulate situations and try to do stuff by stealth, where the robber just is in your face. Give me it or I'll bash you. Actually, that's starting to sound a bit familiar. If I have to say no one more time, I'm going to thump you. Anybody heard that before? I hear that regularly. Um, Jane, you're in church, you can't tell lies. When we were in India, Jane set me up a bit. And what made it worse was, Bishop set her up to set me up. And it didn't click till right in the middle of a meeting. I went, wait a minute. Because I think, I, think we, I was just joking about with some things and Bishop was interpreting Jane and, and his interpretation seemed very long and all of a sudden I just heard all this roaring laughter and I, so I turned to the guy next to me and said, what did he just say? And he said, oh, he said, yeah, he's been in their house, Jane has a big stick and beats Dennis regularly. <laughs> he said... And then we realised, wait a minute. Anyway. Um, so we need to be cautious of anything that will pervert 
the will of God for our lives. Anything that will dis- deceive or distract, right? Take us away from. And, and oftentimes it can be very subtle. Like it, it can be just a gentle little thing that, that takes you just that nth degree, of course. And if you don't fix it quickly, you could end up miles away. It's, it's like when you're steering them big ships. They reckon they one wrong degree at the start could put them hundreds, thousands of miles, of course. And it's the same with our lives. So we have to be really careful about that kind of stuff. Um, that's why we need to hear the shepherd's voice and know the shepherd's voice. So in verse 9, I find this thing really intrigues me. This thing really excites me, I suppose. And so uh, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. But I want to know, what does that mean when he said they'll go in and out? Because I find that this verse is incredibly significant for where we're at right now. In, in more than one or two different ways. It's just incredibly significant. He will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. What does that mean? What was Jesus saying when he said he will go in and out and find pasture? And actually the truth is, when I started to think about it and do a little bit of research, uh, it led me straight back to Psalm 23. You know Psalm 23? Most of you could probably quote it, and I could try, but just so I don't embarrass myself, I'm going to read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me, and I'm, you know, probably most of you would quote it from the King James Version, because that's what we did our memory verses in. But I'm reading it from the New King, so it's just a little bit different, not much. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. What does it mean? We'll go in and out and find pasture. Well, obviously, there's a place with the shepherd, the pen, where the shepherd literally lies across the pathway to keep the sheep in, keep the wolves out. There's a place in the Lord, a secret place in the Lord, that is completely safe. And, you, and the only reason you go in there is for rest and protection. True? That's obvious, you know that. You only go in there. The Lord leads you in there, in the dark, in the night, and in that place... You get rest. You're only there. There's a place of rest. And that's great news if you're under pressure or stress right now. Because if you're in the Lord, there's a place you can go in Him where it's all about rest and protection. And we all need that. We we need that so much. We we need to know the path so well to that secret place that in our personal lives we wear a track out going there because we need to visit there regularly. I don't know if you was here, I don't even know when I preached it, but not long ago, 
I was preaching. What was I preaching about? I was preaching about, oh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, and when, when, when she was alone with Jesus, when it was just her and Jesus, right? Anybody remember that sermon? Oh, damn it. It was so good I was going to preach it again. Uh, it, I said, in the presence of Jesus, when it's just you, there are no accusers. Remember, Jesus said to her, she's guilty. He's the only one who could have thrown the stone. He threw the stone. Everybody else, because she should be dead. But the deal was, in the presence of Jesus, he asked her, where are your accusers? And they're gone. There's none here. And he said, that's right, there's none here, because I'm not going to accuse you either. And the point being, in the presence of Jesus, in that secret place, there's no accusers. The voices of the accusers have gone. And I did point out that night that the biggest accuser wasn't the devil, was ourselves. We accuse ourselves. We let guilt and shame and we accuse ourselves and we, we condemn ourselves. We deserve this. But even in that secret place, even your voice of accusation is silenced. There are no accusers in the presence of Jesus, right? That's wonderful. We, we need to find that place and, and, and use it so often that we literally, there's a track and, and it's sort of muscle memory. We automatically know where to go that place. We go in and there's safety, there's protection, there's no accusers. We, we're safe right there. But he said you go in and out. You go in for rest, for protection. But what do you go out for? To feed. To grow. To be strengthened. To become mature. See, you can't grow in that place. Don't get me wrong, we need that place. We need that secret place. We need that place where there's rest, real rest. We need that place where there's protection, where there's no accusation. We need to go and find ourselves in the presence of Jesus regularly because there's no accusers. There's a place of rest for us. We need to know that place and we need to visit it regularly. But we will never grow in that place. We'll be cared for. We could even get healed in that place, but we won't grow. To grow, the shepherd's got to take his sheep on a journey to the paddocks. And we make a big deal. We make a big deal about, you know, the, the difference between the shepherds of Australia and Israel. In, in Australia, we drive the sheep. We got the dogs and we got the motorbikes. And we, but in Israel, you know this, they fo- the, shep- the sheep follow the shepherd because they just get to know his voice. They get to know his presence. And he walks and they follow. But he isn't just walking, but he's also watching. When, when you're, the sheep are walking with the shepherd, he's looking for danger all the time. He's looking for wolves. He's, he's watching you. He's got your back. But he's, he's also looking for a place where you can grow. He's looking for a place where you can get well fed and where you can grow. You get the point? There's a place where you go in. And Jesus said, I've got a place for you. They will come in. My sheep will come in. But they'll go out and they'll find pasture. They'll find a place to eat and they'll find a place to get stronger and they'll find a place to grow and mature. And so, 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We've got to eat. We've got to feed. We've got to grow. We've got to get stronger. We've got to mature. And it only happens when we go out. I'm not talking about leaving the presence of God. I'm not talking about leaving the church. The green pastures, the still waters, the paths of righteousness, even the valley of the shadow of death. This is the place the shepherd leads us so we can feed, so we can grow, so we can get strong, so we can mature. You don't go out, you don't feed, you don't grow, you don't get strong, you don't mature. To be honest, I think that's the major problem of the modern church. The shepherds have been so busy, so suspicious of protecting the sheep and keeping the sheep and making the sheep our own and, and getting the sheep only to invest in this pen and lock them up in this pen that they don't go out. The truth is, when I say about going out, I think it relates to the Great Commission. Going out is the fulfilment of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. For me, and I'll, I'll cut this short right now, for me, the going out is investing your life, is investing your spiritual giftings that you've been given, is investing the natural skills and abilities that God designed you with. Go, going out is investing all that you are into the Great Commission. And it's only in your involvement in the Great Commission. Whatever you're gifting. What, I'm not talking about doing stuff you haven't got the skills, abilities for. I'm talking about investing your skills, your abilities, but your spiritual giftings into the Great Commission. That's the place where we go out to. I'm not talking about going to India, but I'm talking about investing what you've got to make that happen. I'm talking about making disciples in your own house. You know, a um, little bit of insight into our house. Jane prays for everything, especially when the grandkids are around. Can't find this. Well, let's pray about it. <gasps> Found it, Grandma. See what happens when you pray. And you're going, yeah, that's a coincidence. But it happens so often. 
this isn't working or that's not come together or how can I do well let's pray and she tells and and it and it it's found it happens things fit together whatever happens it, it happens and she tells them she doesn't just leave it to she see what happens when you pray what's she doing she's instilling faith into them she's making disciples of them all the time in our house sometimes she forgets that i'm a husband not one of her grandchildren <laughs> come on then let's pray i am praying maybe i'm praying with a bad attitude but i'm praying no i'm kidding i've just learned to get yes dear <coughs> but you get the point listen we can't do what we're going to do in india until we're doing it here at home jane, jane said to me on our trip we was talking about how good god was and she said it's because we got a good home base we got good people around us and and while god can do anything he usually works through people and and we can only do what we have done and what we hope is about to be done because we got good people hear me we can't do out in india until we're doing it here great commission here investing our Giftings, spiritual giftings, investing our natural skills and abilities, investing our lives in the Great Commission, first here, then Judea, then Jerusalem, then the ends of the earth. See, I, I, I think about this and I see this a lot. So many people have incredible great testimonies, encounters with God, life-changing stuff, but they never go on. They're there for a while and then all of a sudden they disappear, they're gone why because they stayed in there too long the shepherd's gone and he's walking and they're supposed to follow him but they're still in there resting see it's all about it's all about them what they want what they need right but the shepherd's gone and they're supposed to be following him where's he taking them into places where they can feed into places where they can grow, where they can get strong, where they can mature. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. He's got, we've got to learn that even though we're in that place, we're not going to fear any evil because he's with me. And he can bring me through this. Essentially, there's so many people that never really feed or grow or get stronger or mature because they're not invested they go in and they stay there because it's comfortable but they don't go out and follow the shepherd because wait a minute that's not my deal it's not about me back here it's about me but over there no can you see what I'm saying does it make sense to you there's got to come a time. And we, you know, we work hard to try and take teams with us for this very reason. I didn't know it was this very reason, but it is this very reason. We take teams with us wherever we can because we want people to come in, but we want them to go out. We want them to 
feed and we want them to learn and we want them to grow and we want them to get strong and we want them to mature. And we've done that to a degree. But we, we, have, to, we have to push it more. We have to see that I've, I've got to leave. Some of us don't even know where that is. We need to teach you how to get to that place where we can just rest in God and, and feel safe. But the reason we rest in God and feel safe is so that we can go out the next day, find the green pastures. Oh, it may look like the valley of the shadow of death. It may look incredibly difficult and challenging and hard, but the deal is that's the place where you'll feed, you'll learn, you'll grow. Make sense? Come on, church. And I know I'm probably preaching to the converted. Someone's already used that line on me this morning. I know I'm reminding us. This is what it's all about. See, it's not about just coming to church on Sunday. It's far greater than that. In fact, it goes beyond our comprehension at the moment. But there's incredible opportunities. One day, one day, one day we'll realise how important the Great Commission is. So much more important than just making sure the church is here every week and, you know, we're surviving. We only exist for the Great Commission. We, we don't get involved. With, and here's the thing. A lot of churches are struggling and dying. And there's probably several reasons for that. But one of the primary ones is they're not involved in the Great Commission. They're involved in securing what they've got, maintaining what they've got making sure they don't lose what they got instead of risking it all to go on what they get what they haven't got yet. Can you see that? You, you go and ask. There's several reasons. I'm not saying it's the only reason. There's several reasons why churches are struggling and dying. And, 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 and all churches go through seasons of struggle. All churches have their ups and their downs. All, all, seasons, all, all churches go through every season. You know, it's sunshine in, there's fruit, you're celebrating, it's wonderful, but you know, soon, it's autumn, winter, nothing grows, it's hard work, but spring's coming. All churches, all people, all churches go through seasons. we just got to keep going. With one focus, the Great Commission. We go in when we need to rest, find protection, and then we come out, and we followed the shepherd into the green pastures, the still waters, the paths of righteousness, the valley of the shadow of death. Because it's those places that'll make you hard, they'll make you strong. You'll mature in those places. Shall we take the emblems right now? It's a very obvious and blatant motivation the reason the reason not only the reason we first got saved but the reason we now want to go to the rest of the world is Jesus died on a cross remember the body that was broken for us let's partake of it right now
We take the juice that represents the blood, cleanses us of all our sin. And that's what Jesus did for his disciples. The literal, the eleven. That's what he showed them. He told them, I'm doing this for you. But then afterwards, he said, now, take that good news into the rest of the world. Starting at home. How are we doing at home? Well, we're doing better than we used to do, but we're not doing as well as we can. Starts in our homes, starts in our communities, neighbourhoods, communities, being a witness for Christ, taking the good news, but more than that, sharing the evidence of it. Hmm. Come on. Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You loved us so much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you that you've brought us into life. A life beyond our comprehension. A life that has no ending. But a life that's about to dramatically change. Things are changing. But Lord, it's in those changes where we'll feed, we'll grow, we'll be strengthened, we'll mature. Thank you, thank you, thank you that the promise remains the same whether we're in the place, the secret place to rest and protect or whether we're out walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The promise is the same. You are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray now that your spirit would start to bring even clearer revelation of the great commission. The love with which by you loved us now is a motivation to take that good news to people who need your love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that even though we all go through our own seasons, our own challenges, even our own battles, I, I thank you, oh God. I thank you that you're with us and even those things can't prevent us from going further, going out. In fact, you'll turn them around to equip us and, and enable us to be witnesses of the people that need your love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray for a greater revelation of the Great Commission and all that it means. While we live in a great place with great blessings, let it, let's not become so blasé about them. At the same time, don't let us become guilty about them. Instead, open our eyes to the, what's really important in this world, what's really important in the kingdom of God, and, and help us to see the great joy and privilege of being chosen by you to be involved. That we didn't just come, but we were sent. We were called and we were sent, each and every one of us. 
Oh, Lord, that you might help us to see that more clearly than ever before. We sort of know it in our heads. We sort of know about the importance of the Great Commission. But, Lord, let, it, let us each privately see how that intimately impacts each of our lives and, and the blessings when we give our skills and abilities, when we invest our skills and abilities, when we invest our spiritual giftings, when we invest all we are into your Great Commission. Not just the privilege, oh Lord, but the power, the celebration, the benefits of it all. So even now, by your spirit, I ask for fresh revelation. Eyes opened, hearts opened, to see and to receive. In Jesus' wonderful name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you were blessed with today's message. You can connect with us at firstfamchristianchurch.com.